We'll uh, look to kick on with what's the second week in the series this morning. So uh, just appreciate for those of you that are here. I must say I'm actually quite glad to have a bit of a smaller crowd here this morning. Um, when Pete said that I want to preach today, I said, oh, I'm a little bit nervous. And he said, well, it's probably going to be the quietest crowd of the year. So I'm actually quite thankful for that. You know, I thought I was going to be nervous on my wedding day, and trust me, I certainly was, but I think today might top it, so <laughs> we'll see how we go. You know, it's funny, to be up here this morning preaching to you, um, it's actually a bit of a surprise and honestly quite a miracle. You know, this time 12 months ago, we just left a previous church, I just had some pretty major life-changing surgery, um, I actually had said to my wife Sarah, I said, well, we're not going to serve in a church or even volunteer for the next 12 months. A couple of months later, I'm actually employed as a family's pastor, so God clearly has a sense of humour, and as such, here I am today. I also just like to thank uh, my sister, who's here, and a couple of other friends and my in-laws who are here this morning as well. Just thank you for coming this morning and sharing in this with me. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, I'll cry. Um, no, I, I really am appreciative of your continual support and prayers um, Yeah, throughout my entire life. It's really meant a whole lot. So, this morning, I um, yeah, I guess before I continue to cry, I suppose we should get into it. <laughs> it's actually a bit of a trait of the bizzles. Um, you'll get used to it. The more I speak, you'll hear it. It'll happen. Just wait for it. Over the next few Sundays, we're going to be continuing in this series called Redeeming. Last week, Pete kicked us off. This week, I'll be talking about redeeming gifts. Not spiritual gifts, but the actual act of giving. And then next week, Matt Martin's going to be sharing on redeeming culture. And then in the last week, uh, Nathan Gilmore is going to be sharing on redeeming family. If you'd like to uh, turn over with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, it'll be up on the screen as well. This is the passage where we're going to start this morning. It's a pretty small text up there, hey? I should know that as a text guy. Just get your Bibles out and you'll be right. Cool. It says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of, of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, who said, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for this child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You know, shortly after Jesus was born, there was a small group of men who travelled hundreds of kilometres to see him and to give him gifts. And as we just read, it, it actually says there in verse 11 that when they discovered him, they bowed down and they worshipped him. They then opened their treasures and they presented them to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh. And it's interesting, although we can't be certain, over the many centuries, 
the example of those wise men is probably what's actually contributed to our modern custom of giving gifts at Christmas today. Unfortunately, though, we've almost seemed to have forgotten the original meaning of these entire gifts altogether. See, they were actually given to honour Jesus, but all too often today, our gift-giving has become self-centred, materialistic, or even burdensome. And we tend to often cry out for more, 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 or we often try to top the present that we got last year, only to get the next expensive item and then realistically never touch it two weeks later. See, it's interesting, and I've got to be careful what I say here, because my in-laws are here this morning. This actual debate and discussion has been happening in our group chat. Does anyone else here have a family chat? I think we all do. And the discussion has been this. Do we continue to buy gifts for one another as we are all adults now, or do we cease doing that, considering that sometimes we end up buying each other something cheap or not overly helpful, or that we end up returning and exchanging in any ways? And it was interesting, as this discussion went on, it became very clear to me that for some members of my family, the act of receiving or purchasing a gift for someone else is actually a very important time for them and something that they, th- that they thoroughly enjoyed doing for others. Where for some people, myself included, I simply see it as a bit of a burden, sometimes even a waste. I would often say something like, why would I give someone a $30 gift when I can just give them $30 cash? It's the same thing, right? But see, the problem is, although it's the same value financially, it's the heart motivation and the reason behind the giving that was wrong. So this Christmas, I want us to redeem actually why we give and also to help our kids in particular to see that it's actually an opportunity this year that we can give to express love and honour to others, just as the wise men did to the birth of Jesus. So this morning, I'm just going to have uh, three short points. Nice way to make a debut. We're just going to illustrate why we should and how we can redeem gift giving at this time of year. So the first point is this, the first three gifts of Christmas. You know, it's interesting, from the Bible story, we actually know very little about these wise men. Millions of Christmas cards across the world actually they show three kings presenting tiny gifts, sorry, gifts to a tiny child in a manger. We often sing the song in, around Christmas time of We Three Kings of Orient Are. But the interesting part is we don't actually know that they were kings. We're not even told when they actually arrived in Bethlehem. You know, it's actually likely, in view of their long journey and of Herod's command that all children under the age of two years old to be killed, they likely arrived when Jesus was already a young child. It's interesting. So the fact that so little information is given about the wise men clearly shows that Matthew's interest was not focused on the wise men themselves. Rather, he was interested in the fact that the Gentiles had come to worship the Jewish Messiah and in the gifts that they had bought. So I want to take a quick look at the three gifts that they gave. The first one is gold. This is actually the medal of kings. And when gold was presented to Jesus, it actually acknowledged his right to rule. The wise men, they knew that Jesus was the king of kings. Secondly was incense. Now, incense was also a very significant gift. It was often used in temple worship. It was mixed with oil that was used to anoint the priests of Israel. It was a part of the meal offerings and the offerings of thanksgiving and of praise to God. And in the wise men presenting this gift to Jesus, it actually pointed towards Christ as our great high priest, the one whose life was acceptable and was pleasing to his father. And the final one was myrrh. Myrrh is particularly strange because it was used for embalming. I think by any human measure, it would be odd, if not offensive, if your child got presented with some myrrh. Uh, But in this case at all, it was not odd. It was actually a gift of faith. Now, we do not know precisely what the wise men may have known or even guessed about Christ's ministry, but we do know that in the Old Testament, 
that again and again we were foretold of his suffering. So they were fully aware that a Messiah was coming. They just didn't know exactly in what form. When the wise men came to Bethlehem after a stop at Herod's palace, they found the new king in the humblest of circumstances. Interesting part was that they didn't scratch their heads and say, Really? A king born to this poor family? I think we must have made a mistake. Instead, we just read that they believed in the sign of the star. They believed that this child was the promised king. And what did they do? Well, they presented their gifts and were told that they worshipped him. That is faith. And you see, to a carpenter's family, even if they had come from royal blood, the gifts that they had received for, for the baby Jesus were beyond extravagant. Joseph would never have seen gold in his life. In fact, he was paid in denarii, which would have been silver or copper. And Mary, well, she would never have actually owned any frankincense. She might have caught a whiff of it as she walked through the markets in Nazareth. But that would be about it. And myrrh, well, again, that was only for the burial of the rich and the powerful, not the poor. So what happened to the presents? (laughs) No doubt they were received with awe and with gratitude, but wouldn't you think that Matthew would tell us what happened to these amazing gifts? And no one knows what happened to the gifts. Matthew only tells us that the wise men brought them, and that's it. There's not another word in scripture that tells us what happened after that. Now, I love a good conspiracy theory, JFK, the world's flat, all that sort of gear. It's some, it's some interesting stuff there. But there are actually a couple of legends and uh, even theories that they've argued as to what might have happened with some of those gifts. A few of the legends, one of them is that uh, the thieves crucified with Jesus had stolen the gifts given to him at birth. Another even said that Judas was made custodian of the gifts and that he sold them and pocketed the money. There's even stories that say that the myrrh given to him as a child was used when when he was crucified after he was um, buried. Perhaps a more practical story is that Joseph might have sold the gifts to be able to finance the family's flight to Egypt. The point of all this is to say we don't know what happened. And none of these stories are in the Bible and they are all pure guesses, hopes and dreams. They are certainly not from God. So, what happened to the gifts? Why doesn't Matthew tell us what happened? Well, it's because Christmas is not about the gifts that we bring. It's about the gift that God gives. You know, it's almost as if God is saying to us, gold, frankincense and myrrh, yeah, they're nice, but they're not all that important. What matters is the gift that I have for you. My gift is the gift of my son, myself. My gift is the hope of the world. My gift is the gift of grace. My gift is that while you were still a sinner, that Jesus was born into the world, he died for your sins and was resurrected to give you power. Now, I understand that giving the right gift at the right time is important. And yeah, there are some times in life where it's deserving of great expense and of sacrifice, such as a wedding ring. Had to say that one there. However, what we can see and hopefully ascertain from this text is that the worth of a gift is not in the financial value of it. Rather, it's in the meaning, it's in the heart and the purpose of the gift. And that the gift given in this posture actually brings honour to the receiver. Which leads me nicely into my second point, which is this. We give to honour and to love others through how we give. We're going to take a look at another passage of text, which is in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, if you'd like to turn to that as well. Again, it will be up on the screen. Oh, it's a bit bigger this time. It says this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she had learnt that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. 
And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and has wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a rather dramatic account of a dinner party, isn't it? A sinful woman who's calling a woman of the city, sorry, he's called a woman of the city, with some commentators even arguing that she might have been a sex worker. Regardless, it was certainly known that she wasn't high or even middle of society. Yet she pours out what was at that time a very, very expensive jar of perfume. Some even argued it was probably equivalent to about a year's wage in, that, in those days. And then she's told to leave with her sins forgiven. Pretty crazy dinner party. Now, I just want to clarify something here out of this text. And I want to say it pretty clearly. You are not saved by what you give or by money at all. The expense of the perfume is not what saved this woman. It was her faith. In fact, just to back it up, I'm going to quickly say in Acts chapter 8, it says this. When Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money. And he said, give me this power also that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. So you cannot buy or earn your way for salvation at all. It's purely an act of faith. So what was the point of this parable that we read? Well, for us, it's to see that you can actually show love, value and honour to a person through what and how we give. When you spend your hard-earned money and, uh, or sell an item so that you can offer it to someone else, it's actually very sacrificial and it's a big reflection on the posture of your own heart when you do so. But what's the distinction of her gift specifically? Well, I think it's this, that the true value of a gift is connected to the personal cost of the item. See, this woman doesn't simply buy something from Amazon and have it shipped. She personally delivers it to the feet of Jesus. Then she gives of herself by crying and of washing his feet with her very own hair. And I guess the point of this is also to say that it could sound disgusting to be washing someone's feet, particularly with your own hair, but it's actually, again, it's an act of humility. It's of a huge sacrifice to her personally, and it's a rather beautiful deed to do. She just knew that she had to get to Jesus and that as soon as she found him, well, she wept. She knelt before him and she began washing his feet. And in those days, it was a sign or a mark of humility in the person that was doing the washing. But it was also a way in showing honour and in love to the ones having their feet washed. So you remember Jesus, on the, uh, he, he washed his disciples' feet at the Last Supper before he was taken away. Why? Well, again, it was an act of submission and humility. 
So this year for Christmas, as we give, may we do it sacrificially, although remembering that it's not the value of the gift that matters, rather it's the posture of your heart when in doing so. And finally, the last point I've got for this morning is this, the greatest gift of all. I hope you could have guessed it. (laughs) You know, when I was much younger, uh, it's actually half the reason I got the job here, I was playing cricket. And no, that's not true at all. But I used to play cricket when I was a lot younger, and there was many, many, many years ago. My sister can testify to this story, and that's why she's here this morning. I had asked Dad for a cricket helmet. So Christmas morning comes around. That's what it looks like if you don't know. Christmas morning comes around, and there's a very large box under the Christmas tree. Again, this is a reference to my large head. And with much eagerness and anticipation, I tear the wrapping off this, this paper. I open the box up, and inside of it was two Calypso mangoes. Now... Don't get me wrong, I love Calypso mangoes, especially this time of year, Um, but my response to this was not pleasant. Uh, I threw what was probably the biggest tantrum in history. I cried over not getting what I wanted. Then, after a few minutes, though, my father then comes over to me, hands me another present, all nicely wrapped, and inside of this, my extra-large cricket helmet. You see, my father had heard my cry for this helmet, and he actually agreed that it would be good for me and that it would benefit me. So you know what he did? Well, he provided it. But it didn't come as I had expected or even as I necessarily wanted. Yet despite my tears, my whining and my tantrum, he still offered me this gift that I then joyfully received. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and to the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? I'll say that one again. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? You see, throughout all of creation since the world was made, man has been crying out for a saviour. We go searching for it with idols of gold or of the flesh, yet none of it can satisfy. And we honestly cannot mend that relationship that we once had back in the garden by buying it, doing good deeds, or even attending church. And we can't even take our very next breath without the common grace of God in our lives. We need a redeemer. And in the Old Testament, a priest would have to offer up a sacrifice to atone for this sin. However, this process would have to be repeated continually. And see, there was a prophecy of one to come to the world. And we were told that many would, well, so many believed that he would come in fire and in anger and that he would swiftly avenge. And see, God had been quiet for so many years, for centuries. But then out of the blue, God sends his son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin in a little inn in Bethlehem. There was nothing fancy about it. There was nothing big noted. It was simply the creator of the world, born with the animals in a shed. This, my friends, is the greatest gift of all time. You see, I expected a helmet to come in one form, and it came in another. And despite my disappointment in it not happening my way at first, I actually rejoiced as my father knew better plans for me than what I ever could have thought of for myself. And you see, a gift is greater when it comes at a larger personal cost. See, for my dad, he invested about $100 to get me a helmet, and sure, that wasn't going to break the bank at that time. I also knocked about five years off his life as well with that tantrum. However, for our God, well, he invested absolutely everything because he invested himself. 
He became flesh in the form of his son, Jesus, who was born without sin into the world that he created. Yet he was despised and rejected and beaten by the ones who were made in his own image. Yet despite all of this, and it still blows my mind to this day, he did not call down fire on them or death. Rather, he humbly gave of himself, even to death on a cross. Why did he give of himself this way? Well, it was so he could be saved. This is the greatest gift of all. So what does his ultimate gift say about his love for you? Chris, just like to invite you and the band back up on stage. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the passage that I hope we all know is this, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus is the ultimate gift who offered up himself, knowing full well that people would still reject him. And this morning, if you are here and if you trust in Jesus as Lord, well then this Christmas season, yeah, go buy your presents and be joyous in doing so. However, above even that, well, you thank him. Thank Jesus as you open the presents. Thank Jesus as you have meals with your family. And particularly thank Jesus as we enjoy watching Australia win 5-0 in the cricket. Give thanks to our Heavenly Father who knows who we need, and that is Jesus. And know this this morning, and I say this to myself more than anyone, his gift is more than sufficient for your every sin. So you give him thanks. But I also also want to make this offer this morning, that if you are here and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus and accepted the gift of himself, well, then you should. And I want to invite you that either this morning to come and talk to myself or Nathan or one of the um, community group leaders, and we'd love to pray with you. The greatest gift of all time ever that costs you your life but gains you everything is that of Jesus Christ. What a gift. And we celebrate that this year that over 2,000 years ago he came because he was God's gift to us. This morning we're going to take a time of communion together. I thought it would be fairly appropriate in light of reflecting upon this gift that we would share in that. So shortly we're going to have some of the deacons and Nathan come up the front and they're going to have the trays up here and you'll be able to come and partake in that together. But but before we do that though, I just want to read a warning from 1 Corinthians and also posture our hearts in this time that we would receive it rightly. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 30 says this, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, At the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and drinks eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have even died. Now it's a pretty intense passage, however, the part of it that I want you all to get out is that this is a very, very sacred time. And I often ponder and think that sometimes big C church, so not just everywhere, we often forget the sacredness of this moment. 
So this morning, Chris is going to be playing quietly in the background. And for the next few minutes, well, you examine yourself. And if you trust in Jesus as Lord here this morning, well, then you come and you receive these elements joyfully. If you don't trust Jesus, well, that's okay. Um, However, we would ask that you would withhold from this time. Um, But in saying all of that as well, if you'd like to trust him, well, this morning is a good morning to start. (laughs) And it would be a good opportunity for that. So I would just ask that you'd all hold the elements that we can all, um, until everyone has received them, so then we can call, all come up here and eat and drink them together. Just take some time now and um, come when you're ready. Let us pray before we partake. Jesus, I come to you this morning as a man in desperate need of your grace. Father, we come to you as a church this morning and we ask that you would forgive us. And Father, I thank you for sending Jesus as your gift to us and I earnestly pray that this year, that despite what has been a chaotic world, that you would still our hearts and our minds and you would remind us of the greatest gift in all of history and for all of time. Jesus, I thank you that you came into this world and that you did it to die for us so that we could be in relationship with you. This morning, as we partake in the Lord's Supper, help us to do it with hearts towards you that we may bring you honour and glory in this time. Jesus, you stand alone in history and there has been and there will be none like you, so we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. 
with all glory to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let us eat and drink together to give thanks for the greatest gift of all who came to this earth, humbled himself even to death on a cross so that we can be raised to life with him. Let us eat and drink.
before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Saviour through Jesus Christ our Lord the glory, majesty, majesty and dominion and all of authority before all time and now and forever Amen Thank you for joining us this morning It's great to see you all here Trust you all enjoy the rest of your week and um, look forward to seeing you all next Sunday Thanks.